chapter 13. That's kind of where we're going to be tonight. I'm not really going to read a text because we're really going to be going throughout this whole chapter and it's a long chapter and uh, you don't want me to read the whole chapter. So uh, we're just going <clears> to <throat> go through it kind of uh, verse by verse. Uh, two days ago, I got the opportunity to go down to Sioux Falls and I got to preach at the Union Gospel Mission and it was a, it was a good time. I got to preach down there and uh, just really awesome guys and we got to have a lot of fun. Um, but I didn't go by myself. We had uh, Pastor Forsberg came down there with me uh, just to show me the ropes um, and because uh, I hadn't been there before. So Pastor Forsberg and then Stan, another guy from the church came and, and Micah came with me too. And so the four of us, we went down there a little bit early. We got dinner and uh, after we finished dinner, it was still pretty early. And so we, we were trying to figure out a way to kill time. And when you're with Pastor Forsberg and you need to kill time, there's, there's always things to do. So we, uh, we decided that we were going to go to the store and just kind of look around. And so we walk into the store and Micah and I were walking around and we found a cookbook. And the cookbook caught my eye because this cookbook was very, very professional. It had uh, very nice graphics. It looked really, it looked really modern. Um, it's just, just really, really sharp cookbook. So I opened it up and I began to look, sort through, go through some of the recipes and I'm looking through it and there was a recipe in there that I want to read to you that, that was really helpful and I think it's going to be helpful to you guys too. Um, the recipe is for salted butter jam toast. Um, professional cookbook, by the way, published. I don't know if it was a New York Times bestseller, but with this recipe it probably was. Um, okay, so here's how you make salted butter toast. This is in the cookbook. Uh, toast the bread. There you go. Once the bread is toasted, smear with a generous amount of butter. There you go. Just straight butter from the store. That's all you have to do. Number three, before the butter melts too much, immediately spread the jam. The last step, enjoy. And that's all you have to do. So if you didn't know how to make salted butter toast, that's how you make it. All you have to do is toast the butter, put butter on there, jam. Professional cookbook, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that, but published, published. Very, very professional author. Um, he had something going on, midlife crisis. I don't know what it was. But, but in a similar way, just like that guy was giving very simple instructions to the, his readers on how they were to go about this task, in a similar way, God has given us a, a book. And, and it's filled with not just instructions. And I, I understand this, this book, it's a unified story that leads to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament really points back to Jesus. Um, but there are still instructions, and God has given us this book to guide us through this life. Because we live in a crazy world. We do. Uh, we live in a world where, where this book really, I was talking to my, my dad about this last night, that this world really wants nothing to do with Scripture anymore. We, we, we really want nothing to do uh, with the Bible, with God. Many people don't want anything to do with Christianity. The, the Bible just seems outdated. And, and so in a world like that, it can be difficult for us to live um, a godly lives. And it can be really easy for us to sacrifice our, or to compromise our convictions for comfort. And in the story that we're going to learn tonight, we're, we're going to learn some truths about how not to do that. Um, and so in 1 Kings, 1 Kings is really a historical book. Um, and it's and it, shocker. It goes through the kings of uh, Israel. And so it starts off with David. David kind of hands off, passes the baton to Solomon. And Solomon was not a good king. Uh, he, 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 was, he was the wisest man to ever live. 
but then he also married a bunch of wives, and many of them were not of God's people, so he makes a lot of mistakes. After Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam takes over. And Rehoboam is just like his father. Uh, just Rehoboam does not make very many good decisions. He's not a good king. He marries people. He's, he marries wives who, who are not of God's people, just like his father did. And it's just really not a good situation. And then uh, during Rehoboam's reign, the kingdom of Israel splits. And so now we have the southern kingdom called Judah. That's the smaller one. And then we have a northern kingdom called Israel. And so right after, right during that time when it splits, there's two kings now because there's two kingdoms. And the king of the north, his name is Jeroboam. And then the king of the south, we have Rehoboam. I don't know why God did that to us in the Bible, but that's what we have. We have Jeroboam and we have Rehoboam. And Jeroboam's in the north, Rehoboam is in the south. But Jeroboam in the north, he's still not a good king. Uh, Israel just can't seem to get this thing right. And so Jer Jeroboam, He's, he's not making any good decisions either. And so in chapter 12, uh, Jeroboam makes, uh, makes gods for Israel. He says, hey, you guys don't need to go all the way down to Judah to worship God. I'm just going to make you some gods here in Israel so that you don't have to go all the way down to Judah and worship. So he makes two golden calves. He puts one in Bethel and one in Dan. And God was not having it because he doesn't want his people to worship other things other than him. So what God does is he sends a prophet. That's the beginning of chapter 13. The beginning of chapter 13, he sends a prophet. And, and here's the thing. We don't know anything about this guy. This guy's not mentioned any other time in Scripture. We don't even know his name. He's an unnamed prophet. The Bible just says that he is a young prophet. So what this young prophet does, he's from Judah, but he goes up to Bethel and he curses this altar to this God that Jeroboam has made. And he basically says, he prophesies that this, this, this altar is going to be tear, torn down. And he says, one day there's going to come a king that's going to tear down all of the altars in Israel. Well, Jeroboam didn't like that very much because these are his altars. And so Jeroboam comes and, and he points at, at the prophet and he says, arrest him. And when he arrests him, uh, God paralyzes his arm. So now he can't move his arm. And that king turned around really quick. He's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, calm down. Everybody calm down. And, uh, and he's like, just please... Like, tell God to, to unparalyze my arm. And so he does. God does. He unparalyzes his arm. And then Jeroboam um, kind of decides that, or this prophet, after Jeroboam does that, after his arm's healed, this prophet goes through a series of tests. And these series of tests really help us, I think, in trying to figure out how to live a godly life, how to think biblically, how to think according to God's instructions in a world that is fallen. And so the, the first tip I think that we can learn from this, the first truth, is that in order to think biblically in a fallen world, we have to know what God says. Look at verse number 8 in chapter 13. I'm in the passage from this morning. <laughs> Wrong book. There we go. Uh, chapter, verse number 8. And the man of God said, this is the prophet, unto the king, if thou wilt give me half of thine house, I will not go in to eat with thee, neither will I eat bread or drink water in this place. So uh, leading up to this, what Jeroboam does after his arm is healed, Jeroboam invites the prophet to come to his house. And, Jer or, and the prophet says this. He says, no, I'm not going to come to your house. But he doesn't just say no. 
He says, no, I'm not going to come. And even if you were to give me half of your kingdom, I, I don't care how much you give me. I'm not coming to your house. I don't care how much you give me. I'm not coming with you. Which begs the question, I wonder how much it would cost for you to compromise your convictions that you get from Scripture. How much does it cost for you? Because for a lot of people, it really wouldn't cost them that much. So think about that. How much would it cost for you? For this guy, he said, I don't care how much you give me. I'm not coming to your house. He had integrity. And now, I don't want you to think like, well, for this guy, it would have been easy. Right, because for this guy, like that wouldn't have been that hard of a thing to say no to. My my temptations, those things are hard to say no to. But for this guy, like what he's gonna not go eat with a king. That's his big temptation to to say no to eating with a king. But but for this guy, because the king doesn't just say to come eat with him, he says to come and and to receive a reward. And prophets during this time, they weren't rich. Like we don't we don't have celebrity pastors in in the new in the, in the Old Testament. So he's not making a lot of money. And the king says the most powerful man in, in this area is going to give him a reward. This would have been really tempting for him to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go with you. But he doesn't. He doesn't go with him. And that kind of begs the question, why? Because we can say no to a lot of things. But if we don't know the reason why we're saying no to them, then we're not going to say no for very long. And so this guy goes on in verse number nine. He explains why he's not going to go. Look at verse number nine. For, for, for so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So there's something really important about this. This guy would not have said no to this temptation if he didn't know what God said. He had to have known what God said in order for him to say no uh, to this temptation. When he was given this proposition to disobey, he had to have been given a word from the Lord. He had to have known what God said before he was placed with this temptation. And the same is true for us. If, if we're going to say no to temptations, if we're going to battle against Satan every day in the temptations that we face in life, and in these temptations to compromise our faith and, faith and to compromise our beliefs and to give up our integrity, if we're going to say no to those things, we have to know what God says. And in order to know what God says, that means that we need to be spending time in his word. Because that's how we, how we know what God says. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's trying to give him some instruction. And he says this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so when Paul writes this to Timothy, he, in context, he's talking about false teachers. And what he's saying is there's a group of these false teachers that are in the church and they're not approved by God because they're not teaching the things that, that are correct. They're, they're not teaching any, things that, 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 are, that are consistent with Scripture. And so what does Paul tell Timothy to do? He tells him to rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, what Paul tells Timothy is, hey, Timothy, don't get up in front of your people and, and just tell them what you think or your opinion for 30 minutes. No, I want you to take Scripture and I want you to tell the people what that means and I want you to tell them how it applies to them. And that's what we try to do every week here, here from this pulpit. We, we, don't, we, try not to, we don't get up here and just try to spout off our opinion for 30 minutes and then send you home and say, live like we do. No, no we, we try to give you Scripture. We want to teach you the Bible and we want to teach how we can live Scripture out. That, that's our goal. Anytime I get up here, anytime Pastor Forsberg or Pastor Yoder gets up here, that's our goal. We want to teach the Bible and then and to teach how we're able to, to live it out 
throughout our life. But this pulpit should not be the end of our Bible study. Because if we're going to know what God says, we need to spend more time in God's Word than just an hour on Sunday morning and then an hour on Sunday night. But we've got to know what God said. If we're, going to, if we're going to fight the battle to give up our integrity out in the world, we have to know what God says. And if we're going to know what God says, that takes some study. We're, we, we need to spend time meditating, memorizing God's Word. We, we need to spend time in it. Because God doesn't just want you to read the Bible. There's a lot of people that read the Bible. God doesn't just want us to read it. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to study it. And in order to understand it, we really have to study it. And and to study it, that means that if you find something that you don't understand, which I'm sure it doesn't happen for you, but it happens for me all the time. Uh, If you find something that you don't understand, we look it up. If we hear something in preaching that that we're we're not really sure about, then we ask somebody or, or we do research on our own. That's what studying looks like. We have to know what God says. And that this prophet did. He knew exactly what God said. Uh, Hebrews 5, 12 through 13 says this. It says, for when, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which would, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are not become such as have need of milk, or, and have become such as need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So what, what the author of Hebrews is saying in that verse is that one of the signs of a spiritually mature Christian is that they're able to understand the word of God. That as you mature in your faith, what maturing in your faith looks like is that you're studying and gaining a better comprehension of what God's word says. That, that's, that's what maturing in our faith looks like. And so we, we, should, we should do our best to understand the different books of the Bible. When we're reading a book of the Bible, when we're reading a book like First Kings, we're asking ourselves, man, who was this written to? What's the context? What are the verses leading up to it? We need to ask ourselves these questions so that we don't just take God's word and then try to make it mean what we want it to mean. So, so we've got to know what God said. But this guy didn't just know what God said. He obeyed what God said. Because there's a, there's a lot of people that know what God says and then they don't obey it. They, they, they want nothing to do with it. Because there's two ditches when it comes to Bible study. Here's the two ditches. We have a ditch that's all knowledge and no application. So, so it's all just, hey, I want to know as much about the Bible as possible, but I'm not going to apply any of it. But there's another ditch that doesn't care about how the Bible is written and, and different books of the Bible and who the Bible is written to. It doesn't ask questions like context. It, these are the people that say, you know what? God said that Abraham was going to have a lot of kids, and I'm going to claim that promise, so I'm going to have a lot of kids. Oh, like, okay, well, you're not really, you're not really, you can't claim that promise for yourself. So, so we have to have knowledge, but we also have to have application. Uh, James says this in James 1.22. It says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, Deceive, deceiving yourselves. So, so we have to apply what we learn. We, we can't just read and gain a bunch of knowledge and then not apply anything because knowledge puffeth up. The only thing that our knowledge about Scripture is going to do is just make us prideful. In order to, to live a, a, a godly life, in order to have a biblical mindset in a fallen world, we have to not only know what God said, but we have to do it. And that's what this guy did. Look, look, what, he, look what it says in verse 10. It says, so he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. So, so this guy says, if God says no, then I'm going to say no. God said not to eat with you, and so I'm not going to eat with you. God said 
not to drink with you, so I'm not going to drink with you. God said to go a different way that I came, and so I'm going to go a different way that I came. He's following God's commandment to the T. He's not, he, doesn't, he, he has a knowledge of what God said, but he's also obeying and applying what God said. So we have to know and obey what God says. It, during World War II, there was a series of plane crashes in Greenland, uh, and people were flying B-17s and things like that over to Europe. And as they were flying over Greenland, a lot of them would go down and they would land on ice caps. And there's a story of a pilot who went down in Greenland. And, and in Greenland, if you don't know, uh, the temperatures in the wintertime can get down to negative 50, and the wind chill is just terrible. Sounds familiar. Um, but... Uh, it gets really, really cold. And so this plane, it crashes in Greenland and the pilot, some, some of his friends, they lived. And so he's, he's, in, he's, he's the pilot. He's kind of the commanding officer there. And so he decides he's going to get out of the plane and kind of look around to see, to see what the damage is. So he gets out of the plane and as he's walking around, his feet start to get really cold. And he looks down, and he realizes his boots weren't waterproof. And so that water from the snow, they're leaking, it's leaking through his boots. So his feet get really cold and he goes back into the plane and, and they're stuck there for days. Uh, they, they have nobody to call. Their radios are all broken. So they're just there. And the story goes that the guy a couple days later that, that went outside, he looks, he, his feet three days later, it starts to hurt. They, they start to get really uncomfortable. And so he takes his shoes off. And when he takes his shoes off, his feet are just like yellow and blue from frostbite. I mean, his feet are awful. If he doesn't get help soon, they're going to have to amputate him. So the guys that are, that are part of his squadron, they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. And they decided that they were going to take his feet and they're going to rub them really hard and really fast to try to warm them up. What they didn't realize is that every plane was equipped with a manual on how to survive these really cold temperatures. And in the manual, it said that is the last thing you do. Because if you rub the feet, it's actually going to make that frostbite worse and the guy could lose his feet. And that's exactly what happened. This guy's situation got much worse. Why? Because people didn't read the manual. And the same thing happens in our life. It can be really destructive if we don't know and understand and obey the manual that God's given us. And so we study it. We know what God said, but we don't just know it. We obey it. So if we want to live in a fallen world, have a biblical mindset in a fallen world, we have to know and obey what God said. But, but second of all, we, we have to not let anyone persuade us different. Look at verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God hath done <clears throat> that day in Bethel. And the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. So grandpa shows up on the scene, old prophet. And usually that's a good thing. When the older guy shows up in the Bible, you, normally that's a good thing. This time, not quite. And so what happens is this old guy, after his sons tell him all of this stuff that this young prophet did and said, the old guy, the old prophet, he says, you know what, I got to find this guy. I've got to talk to him. And the Bible doesn't tell us whether his intentions were malicious or not. Um, it kind of seems like they are with, with what we read later in the story. But we don't know. It could have been that he just genuinely wanted to have a conversation with this young prophet. We don't know. Um, but what we do know is that he gets on a donkey and he goes and he tries to find this younger prophet. And in verse 14, he finds him. And in verse 14, he, he starts to have this conversation with this young prophet. And so the, the older prophet goes to him and he says, hey, oh, why don't you come home? I want to talk to you. Come home with me. 
I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you water. Come home with me. And the prophet tells, the, the, the young prophet tells the old prophet the same thing he told Jeroboam. He says, no, no, God told me that I'm not supposed to eat with anyone and I'm not supposed to drink with anyone and I'm supposed to go a different way that I came. So God said it and I'm going to do it. And the old prophet, he, 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 he keeps trying to argue with the guy and he says this in verse number 18. It says this, he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with thee into thine house that he may eat bread and drink water. And that last statement, but he lied unto him. So, so he tells him, hey, I'm a prophet just like you are, and God told me to bring you back to my house. And what does the young prophet do? He listens to him. All it took for this young guy to compromise his conviction was for an older guy to reveal a position. That's all it took. All it took for this young guy to say, oh, okay, if, if that's true, all it took was for the old guy to say, hey, I'm a prophet just like you. This guy looked religious. He, knew, he looked like he knew what he was talking about. And so the young guy listened. And I know a lot of people, <laughs> this is kind of ridiculous, but I know a lot of people who would take this passage and they would say, see, we're not supposed to listen to old people because they're irrelevant, and so they, we shouldn't listen to them. And so we should just listen to people that are the same age as us. Well, that doesn't really work either. Because the chapter before this, I told you about Rehoboam, right? Solomon's son. Rehoboam gets in really big trouble in chapter 12 for what? For listening to people the same age as him. And I think there's a reason that these two stories are back to back. Because I don't think what God is saying here is, hey, you should never listen to people that are the same age as you, or you should always listen, or you should never listen to people who are older than you. I think what God's trying to say is every counsel, every counsel that we receive in our life, everyone that we allow to speak into our life, their voice should be compared to the voice of God. No matter who they are. No matter what kind of position they are, their voice should be compared to the voice of God. And throughout the, ver the, 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 the book of 1 Kings, there's king after king that, that just can't be trusted. I mean, we couldn't trust Solomon. We couldn't trust Rehoboam. We couldn't trust Jeroboam. And now what God is showing us is that even the prophets during this time are corrupt. And, and it's really interesting because all of these corrupt kings and these corrupt prophets, they're all pointing to a king that would come in the future and a prophet who would come in the future who would be trustworthy. The only trustworthy king and the only trustworthy prophet and that was Jesus. But during this time, these guys couldn't be corrupt. These guys couldn't be trusted. That's why the Bible says this. It says this in Psalms 118.8. It says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. This is why here we are okay with questions. In fact, questions aren't just allowed, but, but they're encouraged. We're, we're okay with them. Pastor Yoder and I, we talk about this all the time, that we want to create an environment where, where questions are not, only are not only welcomed, but they're encouraged. We want people to ask questions. If you hear something in a message that you're like, hey, I'm not really sure about that, or could you provide more clarity? We would absolutely love to talk to you. We're, we're not scared of questions. We, we love them because we don't want people to just trust what we say because we have a position. We, we want everything that we say to be backed up with the word of God. And, and that's why questions are, are really, really important. Every week in teen Sunday school, we do this. 
every single week in teen Sunday school, we have a time for Q&A where, where people ask questions. And sometimes it's about the message and sometimes it's just about life. But we provide an environment where questions are encouraged. And I think that's important. Because we can't, we, we can't just trust people because they have a position. What people say have to be backed up with the word of God. Paul told this in Corinth. It says, or in the, to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4.2, it says, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. So we're supposed to have rejected this idea of handling the word of God deceitfully, but some people haven't. They haven't. And so we have to be careful and test counselors by the word of God. Anyone that you allow to speak into your life, their words need to be compared with God's word. So we can't, we, we can't just listen to someone because of a position that they have. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if, if they're your friend, like it was Jeroboam. It doesn't matter if they're, if they're a preacher. It doesn't matter if they're the president of your favorite Bible college. None of that matters. Their words need to be compared with the word of God. Nobody can be let off the hook and just say, oh, well, he's got a position, and so, and so we should just listen to him. No, 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 no. It has to be compared with God's word. But for this guy, he did. He, he didn't. He, he didn't compare God's word with his word. He just said, oh, you have a position? Okay, I'm going to go with you. And it doesn't work out very well for him. Why? Because number three, we are held accountable for not obeying. We are held accountable for not obeying. So the young prophet goes. He goes to this man's house. He eats dinner with him. He spends time talking to him. And this is what happens in verse 23. Or actually, actually during dinner, the word of the Lord comes to him. And he basic, God basically says, why didn't you listen to me? I told you not to eat. I told you not to drink. I told you to go a different way than you came. What, what, what are you doing? Why are, why are you here? And this is what happens in verse 23. And it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him in the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. Now, for me, reading this story for the first time, that doesn't really seem fair. Is anybody with me? Like, like it, was, it, was the, it was the older prophet that came to the younger prophet, lied to him, and said, hey, come home with me and, and come, in, come and eat with me. It's fine. Like, God told me that it was okay. And so then the younger prophet goes. And then the younger prophet is the one that experiences God's judgment because the older prophet lied to him. That doesn't seem fair, right? That, that's, that just seems kind of, kind of messed up. But what God is trying to teach us, I think, through this is that the only person responsible for your sin is you. You might have people in your life that, that are bad influences on you. You might have people in your life that influence you in a way that is negative. But the only person ultimately that is responsible for your sin is you. That's why James says this in James 1.14. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. But when you sin, it comes from your sinful desires. When I sin, it comes from my sinful desires. The only person that is responsible for my sin is me. And this is why Jesus had to come. 
This is why Jesus had to come. Because Jesus couldn't just say, oh, well, they're in a bad environment or they had a bad home life. And so we're just going to overlook their sin because, because they, they had a rough upbringing. No, he, our, our sin is, we, we, were, we were responsible for it. And so then God places his judgment on Jesus so that we don't have to face his judgment, praise God. We, we don't have to face the judgment like this guy did in, in, in this passage. We, we, get, we get to have a relationship with God now and we get a pass on God's judgment. We, we don't have to experience it because Jesus already experienced it for us. But even though we don't experience God's judgment, there are still natural consequences when we don't obey God's word. There are. We see it in the world, and I'm sure we've seen it in our own lives. There are always natural consequences when we don't obey God's word. And when those natural consequences come, look, that, that does not mean that God is judging you. That doesn't mean that he doesn't love you anymore. That doesn't mean that he hates you. But there are natural consequences when we don't obey God's word. And the, and the only person that's held accountable for our sin is us. So the people that teach us wrong or the people that are bad influences on us or the people that tell us to do things that, that we know aren't right and we do them, those people aren't held accountable because we've been given God's word. And so, and so we, we have to know what God said in order to live in a fallen world. You know, we laughed at those instructions that I gave earlier. But you know what's interesting? If I followed those instructions to the T, you know what I would have at the end? Buttered jam toast. That's what I would have. They were simple instructions. They seem kind of dumb. But if I followed them, that's what I would have. I'd have toast. And you know, if we follow God's instructions, and, and Jesus took, took the law, of the, Old, the 613 laws, in the Old Testament, and he summarized it for us. He was really, really gracious, and he summarizes it. He says, hey, love God, love people. Simple. Not easy, simple. And you know what we have if we obey that? We have a life that glorifies our Father in heaven. But in order to do that, we have to know and obey what God says. We have to not allow anyone, no matter their position, to persuade us differently. And we have to remember that no one else is held accountable for our sin except for us. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together just to learn from your word.